Well, welcome back once again to our sermon series, Messy People, Merciful God, as we work our way through the book of Judges. Last semester, while I was at the seminary, it was towards the end of the year, they had a group of high school visitors come, some guys who at least had some interest of learning what it would be like to become a pastor. And we had some of these guys sitting in the back of our classroom. The professor, he was teaching us the book of Ephesians. And we got to this one passage where it says, the Apostle Paul's talking, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. And at this, one of the recruitment directors who was in charge of the high schoolers, he raised his hand and said, I remember when I talk to many young men about being a pastor, one of their biggest objections is, I am unworthy. And I look at them and I tell them, join the club. Because each man in that room struggles with the idea of feeling unworthy. And I'm sure you've had these feelings of unworthiness as well. Maybe you look at all that Jesus asked us to do, and it could be overwhelming. I mean, think about it. He asked us to be his disciple, to follow him to the point of death, to go out and spread the gospel message. And you look at your own life, and you recognize what a mess you really are, and you think, am I really cut out? For that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The idea of being unworthy and those feelings of unworthiness. And to do this, we are going to look at a man named Gideon, one of God's messengers who he called to save Israel. Now, I wrote just this really great sermon on Gideon. It was well-crafted, you would have loved it, but it was an hour and a half long. And uh, somebody didn't want to let me preach it. So what we're going to do is we're going to cut this story of Gideon up into two weeks. First week, what I'm going to talk about today is we're going to talk about Gideon's calling, his origin story. And then next week, we're going to see the battle that Gideon fights. So first today, we're going to look at his calling. But to do this, let's set the stage for what's going on in Israel first. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, and they cried out to the Lord for help. So things, they got pretty bad for Israel. I mean, now they messed up again, and the Midianites came and oppressed them. And the Israelites, they started to live basically like homeless people. They would build these shelters, these shacks, and they would live on the side of the mountain and live in caves. And to make matters worse, the Israelites, they would grow many crops, but then the Midianites would come and just steal all their food. I kind of like to picture it like the movie A Bug's Life, I'm sure that's what you were thinking. You know, there's these ants, they work hard all season to get all the crops, but then right when they get everything, 
the big grasshoppers come and they steal all their food and they're left with nothing. And what are these ants going to do? Are they going to fight back against the grasshoppers? That doesn't work. It's, and for seven years, that's what happened. The Israelite ants, they just dealt with it, but eventually they cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord is going to provide help, and he does it through Gideon. Let's see how he calls him. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, The Lord is with us. Why has all this happened? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But, Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down all the Midianites together. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So we find Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I know anything about farming, but I do know that normally when you th thresh wheat, you do it in an open space because you throw the wheat up in the air and the chaff blows away in the wind. But Gideon, he's in this box, this wine press, because he's scared of the Midianites, that they would find him. And while he's being a scaredy cat in this wine press, that's when the Lord shows up to him and says, Behold, you mighty warrior. And Gideon looks around and says, you, you, you're talking about me? I'm a scared farmer, and I've got some questions for you. It's, you say that you are with us, but things seem pretty bad right now. I can't really tell that the Lord is with us. But then the angel of the Lord says, yeah, but it's me. It's the Lord. I will be with you. But then Gideon, he kind of fires back and says, yeah, but have you seen who I am? I'm from the least tribe in Israel. And even in my family, I'm pretty young and don't really know what I'm doing. Which leads to our first point. Are you a scared farmer or a fearless warrior? I'm sure there are times where we can relate to Gideon where we feel more like that scared farmer than the fearless warrior that God calls us to be. When you look at yourself and you see what God has to do, I can see you can understand being a scared farmer instead of that fearless warrior. But let me give you a personal story from my life to illustrate this. So um, I have this accountability partner. It's someone who I talk to once a week. It's one of my classmates, and we like to catch up. We're really good friends. But also the purpose of that conversation is to confess our sins to one another, talk about what we're struggling with, and then encourage one another with God's word. And we were talking on one Friday morning, FaceTiming, and we were talking about all the things that we're struggling with that week. And then he told me this. I remember when I grew up, 
while vicars would come to my church, and everyone would be so excited, and they'd say, oh, these are just the best men. These are just the best guys out there. And we're kind of looking at ourselves like, if only they really knew. If only they really knew that we are struggling with the same types of sins that they are. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I'm not struggling with this idea of worthiness, just like I know that you are. There are times where I feel like the scared farmer as well. I am sure you've had these feelings as well, where you know you should follow Jesus, you know you should listen to what he has to say for your life, but instead you look at yourself and think, man, how do they even let me in here on Sunday? I think of the same thing, you know, I, I look back at my week, I think, I look at what I've done Monday through Saturday and I think, how am I the one here to preach God's word to all these people on Sunday? It's crazy how unworthy we can feel at times. And this was certainly the case for Gideon. And he needed some assurance, just like we did. So he asked the Lord for a sign. Let's see what that sign is. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon, he asked the Lord for the sign, but at the time he didn't know it was the Lord. He still kind of thought maybe it was just some average guy. And he says, wait here, I'm going to go get an offering for you. Stay here. And the Lord says, all right, I'll stay. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat from an ephah of flour. He made bread without yeast, putting the meal in a basket and its broth in a pot, and he brought them and offered them under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so with the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. So what's Gideon do? He goes to back to his house, and he gets a young goat and an ephah of flour. Now, I'm sure each one of you here knows what an ephah is, but just in case you don't, it uh, makes about 20 loaves of bread. So we're talking about a big feast here. He gets a nice goat and 20 loaves of bread. We're talking Thanksgiving meal caliber, serving 20 people. It's not just one meal for one guy. Clearly, he's making an offering. And he brings out all this food, and the Lord, he takes out his staff, touches the food, and it bursts into flames. Miracle. When Gideon realized that, that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. So Gideon, he finally realized that this was the Lord. And once he figured this out, he kind of had to have been scared because he was a sinful man talking to the Lord. But that's when, right away, the Lord says to him, do not be afraid, I bring you peace. You do not need to be scared. And instantly after this, Gideon, he decides to build an altar 
and worship God. Which leads to point number two. My qualifications come from God, not my resume. Whenever you look at yourself to make yourself right with God, you will always fall in either one or two different pitfalls. And those pitfalls are pride or unworthiness. When you look at yourself to make yourself right with God, it will never work. You will either become arrogant of yourself or you will think you're completely unworthy. And, be, and we cannot approach God by our own selves. But that's why God calls us. He's the one who does the calling. He's the one who qualifies you. When you look to your own performance, you will always be that scared farmer. But when God does it, when God changes you, that's what he looks at. But God, he didn't leave Gideon where he was at. He called him to do a job, and right away he has a tough task for him. Let's see what that tough task is. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer a second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of the servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it all that at night rather than in the daytime. So Gideon, I don't think he realized this, but when he made an altar to the Lord to worship him right there, he was creating a problem because there was an altar to the Lord, which he just made, but there was also his father's altar to Baal. Now there are two altars here. And God said, no, 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 no. We're not going to have two altars here, one for me and one to a false god. You need to go tear down that altar of your own father. And I think you can understand how difficult this is, that he's dealing now with his own family. He's going to cause a problem within his own family. So what's he do? Like a scared ninja at night, he goes and he tears down this altar to God, or to Baal. He tears you know what I mean. He tears down Baal's altar. But let's see what the reaction is. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole besides it. So you see what happened here? There was a commotion in the town, but Gideon's father, who once was a Baal worshiper, now was defending Gideon. He was up there saying, if Baal's going to cause some damage, let him do so if he's a real god. But we both know that he's not. Great success story. Right? You know, Gideon, he did that hard thing of tearing down the altar, and now Gideon's father, Joash, is now following God. And I know there are times. There are times where one of us stands up here and tells you to go out and share the good news of Jesus. Go out into the community, rub shoulders with everyone you talk to, tell people at your work, people who you go to school with, whoever you come in contact with, tell them about Jesus. But today... I want to narrow that focus down. 
when we look in this room, there are many chairs filled with people. That's great to be able to worship with one another. But my guess is there is one empty chair in here that breaks your heart. An empty chair of a family member that you wished was here with you. Someone within your own family who doesn't believe in Jesus, someone who possibly has strayed away from the faith or is making some bad decisions right now. And I haven't been here that long, but at Cross of Life, I've had many conversations with you about that very issue of family members who wander from the faith and in the process is breaking your heart. And I know how hard this is. Wives who stay up at night, every night, praying for that their husband would come to know the Lord. Scared parents who had a prodigal son or daughter who left their home, went to a university, and left the faith. faith. Brothers, sisters, daughters, mothers who do not yet know about Jesus. So I'm asking you now today, is there possibly a sense that you would be able to have another conversation with that person? There may be an empty chair here today that breaks your heart, but my guess is there's a possibility that that chair will be filled at this Thanksgiving table. Is it possible that the Lord is giving you another opportunity to have a conversation with that person? And I have a challenge for you as well. We have these Connect cards in our bulletins. On the front, it has your name, but on the back, it also has a prayer request. I ask you, would you please write down someone's name who is straying from the faith within your own family? The only people who are gonna see it are me, Pastor, and Kevin, and we would love to pray for them throughout this week. Prayer is so powerful and so is God's word. Would you please do this? Maybe, once again, God is giving us a chance to reach out to these people. And that leads to our next point. God uses broken people to do his work. Each person here, I know you're a mess. You're a broken, just like I am. But yet, God uses broken people to do his work. There are things going on in your life that are wrong, but yet you can still talk about how great God is. And to illustrate this point, I want to talk to you about the Japanese art of kintsugi. I'm probably saying it wrong, but that's how I'm gonna say it. Now, the deal with kintsugi is, if you have a ceramic, like a jar, and you drop it and it shatters into pieces, what do you do normally? You take up a broom, you sweep it up, you throw it away. But in kintsugi, they are known for taking ceramics and using this special gold lacquer and gluing it back together, leaving a product that is better off now than, it, than when it was first off. And I know there are people here who are broken. I know you're broken and I know by myself that I am broken and we deserve just to be swept up and thrown away. But that's where God comes in. He takes broken people like you and me and he puts us back together. Once was what was a sign of our brokenness, now is a sign of God's grace in our life. Those broken areas now radiate just how much love God has for you. And maybe those broken jars can just be the type of people that can reach out to our family members once again. When we look at the story of Gideon, I think there's one major point that we want to get across, and that is 
When God's people need saving, God shows up. The Israelites were oppressed, and he got Gideon, and he got him to tear down that one altar. But ultimately, this is true with Jesus. When God's people need saving, God shows up. And Jesus, he had such a difficult task as well. He didn't have to tear down an altar, but instead he had to live a perfect life for us. And he gave up his, his perfect life for us so that we could have that gift. And he gave us this gift, not to people who impressed him, but he gave it to broken people like you and me. He had the ultimate victory in conquering sin, death, and the devil. Now Gideon, he had just an amazing sign show to him. He had this fire come up from a rock showing that it was God. He needed that assurance. But he didn't mean that he didn't stop having doubts. He still had doubts, and he asked the Lord for another sign. And later in this chapter, we see how he has, the Lord gives him another sign where there's this fleece, and it's wet, and the Lord makes it dry, and then there's this dry fleece, and the Lord makes it wet. Maybe you've heard of that story before. But time and again, Gideon needed assurance and reassurance. And I think the same is true for you and me. And we get that through God's word. God's powerful word that changes lives. My prayer for us now is that God may use these broken jars I see in front of us to radiate God's grace to our families. We do this all in Jesus' name. Amen.